So this morning, we're going to start a new series, and I'm not sure how long this series will go. But this morning will be part one, and hopefully it'll be an introduction to what this is all about. I'm calling it Bad and Worse. Everybody say that real loud, Bad and Worse. Bad and Worse. Very good. Bad and Worse, A Tale of Two Brothers. I was on vacation, and I was reading Leadership Magazine. It's a magazine for pastors. And there was an article in there about a poll that they gave to 500 pastors, a series of questions. One of the questions that they asked was, what is the number one frustration to you as a pastor? And uh, as I, I knew what the answer was, just based on what my own frustrations are, and of course, mine matched theirs as well. Number one frustration, you're probably wondering what this is, of pastors, and I'm not sure America, the world, what it is, but of these that were polled, was the fact that you spend your whole life, every week and sometimes throughout the week, pouring out the truths of Scripture, teaching from your heart, studying and passionately delivering the best you can the truths of God, only to see very little transformation, very little change in the folks that you're talking to. One of the most disheartening things to see is to see a high level of hypocrisy in the church. Where people who claim to be committed followers and disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ on Sunday morning and on Monday throughout the whole week totally deny that loyalty to Jesus. And living as if He didn't exist in their life at all. Spiritual deadness is still the number one problem in the church today. The same 20% of the people do all of the work and give all of the money. There's a high level of activity, but very little progress. There's rampant hypocrisy in some cases, and the church is full of huge amounts of spiritual deadness in the hearts of people. So this series is all about defining that spiritual deadness and then a prescription on its cure. This story was first told by Jesus thousands of years ago in the book of Luke. It's found in Luke chapter 15. And if you have a Bible this morning, you can go ahead and find Luke. If you're going to use the Bibles in the chairs, it's page 627. story goes basically like this. The father had two sons. The youngest son came to the father and asked for his inheritance. The father granted him his wish. He left and squandered all of the money on prostitutes. After he had wasted all of the money and used it all up, had nothing left, felt very sorry and returned home to his father. When he got home, his father, to his very surprise, forgave him and then started this huge banquet to restore his son's honor. His older brother heard about all of this, who was faithful, never left home, did everything his father asked him to do, and he was furious. This story was originally called the prodigal son. And I don't know when that started. It goes back 
uh, way back, probably somewhere around the 300s, when we started calling this the prodigal son. But the Bible doesn't say it's called the prodigal son, and Jesus never called it the prodigal son. When Luke wrote about it, he never said the words, the story of the prodigal son. So at some point it got that title, and we don't know when. But it's unfortunate, because that title leaves out, really, what the story is all about. The story is about far more than this rebellious young brother. In fact, I think I I can prove to you over the next couple of weeks that the story is really actually about the older brother. In fact, the story is more about the older brother than any of the other characters in the story. The story is more about the father than it is the younger brother. In fact, this story climaxes with this intense dialogue between the father and the older brother. The word prodigal means to spend all you have until you have nothing left. Therefore, the word prodigal has more in common with the father and the younger son. Both who spent all they had. Charles Spurgeon spoke on this story back in 1890, and he titled his talk, A Prodigal God for a Prodigal World. So remember this, and keep this in the back of your mind the whole time when you're thinking about this text. Remember this. Jesus told this story to illustrate what the kingdom of God was like how the kingdom was supposed to work. So if you take all of the teachings of Jesus and compare them to a lake, this one story would be the clearest, most deepest point of that lake. So crystal clear, you can see all the way to the very bottom and see every detail. There is no more concise picture of the gospel than in this story here in Luke chapter 15. It's a story of a father's reckless love showered on those who don't deserve it. Instead of making us repay our debts and paying for all of our sins and failures, he throws a celebration and a party to celebrate our reconnecting with him. Let's take a look at the first three verses of the text. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. This is the New Living Translation. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them exclamation point. So Jesus told them this story. There's actually three stories that he told, and we call them parables because they're made up. These didn't actually happen, okay? Jesus was teaching his followers, and he said, I'm going to show you what the kingdom is like and how it works, so I'm going to tell you these three stories. And the third story is the story that we're going to go over today. So Luke tells us that those who were sitting there listening to Jesus were tax collectors and sinners. Now, 
Sometimes we stumble over that, I think, the tax collectors. What is that? I mean, is that the IRS? Sinners, I think, most people can get. Uh, you know what a sinner is when you see one, right? And you look in the mirror. This is bad people. These are bad people. Bad to the bone. These bad people represent the younger brother. These are the kind of people that engage in loose living and wild living. They sleep around. They get drunk on the weekends. Sex parties, drugs, pursuing anything that feels good in life. That's their focus. What feels good? I have to work and earn enough money to party really hard on the weekend. Until it finally takes its toll. And they find themselves in jail or in poverty, broken relationships, poor health, and sometimes even death. The latest representation of a bad person would be Amy Winehouse. Tragic, tragic story of her life. All this talent. And then she wasted it all and passed away. These are wild living people, unbridled, undisciplined, loose living. These are the people that love Jesus. These are the people that followed Jesus around and they couldn't get enough of his teaching. And they were there on that day when he was telling this story. Tons of these kinds of bad people. Now, there was another group of people listening to this story, and they were, I guess you could say, the opposite. The opposite crowd. These are smart, educated people. They use their talents to gain wealth and power. Very disciplined and very careful. Not a spendthrift. Don't spend their money on wild things, but save and earn. These people work hard Every single day, not lazy. They deprive themselves of the party scene. They don't go to the parties and get drunk. In fact, they don't drink at all or take drugs. They have a very high moral standard. They don't swear. They don't drink. And you'll never hear them tell a dirty joke. These are very nice people. They never miss church. And they give regularly. They read their Bible and get this. They have a very consistent prayer life. Very consistent. I guess one characteristic you could say about these people is they are never seen with bad people. Now this group is represented by the elder brother. You can see how this whole thing was unfolding as Jesus is there and he looks at these two groups of people that are in front of him and he makes up a story to speak directly to each group. He doesn't call it bad and worse, but that's what it is. Jesus sees the bad people and he says, you're bad. And he sees the religious leaders and he says... You're worse. 
So the story takes an extended look at the elder brother. And the climax of the story is this desperate plea from the father for the elder brother to enter into the banquet. And the story ends abruptly with the elder brother refusing to go in. The younger brother, the bad brother, he went into the celebration with the father that the father had prepared for him, the fattened calf. He came to the celebration and was reunited with the father rejoicing. But the older brother who was faithful and good and never wayward, he rejected the banquet and would not go in. So here it is. Both sons are lost. Both paths in life are dead ends. And the human race has been all wrong about how to connect with God. Which is a big part of the story. Because both sons were separated from God, from their father... And needed to reconnect. Needed to come home. Both took different paths. And both were wrong. Have you ever wondered why people love Jesus but hate the church? You ever met somebody who says that they read the Bible and they pray. But they will not go to a church. I think the answer is because the churches are full of elder brothers. People who are completely lost in their goodness. They have a passion for being right and doing what is right and doing what is good. And folks, it has resulted in an enormous amount of spiritual death. You see, the gospel isn't about being good or being bad. It's something completely different. It's not of this world. Christianity is the largest religion in the world today. The top four are Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism. But you know, Christianity used to be a non-religion. In fact, it was such a non-religion that the Romans initially referred to the Christians as atheists. Because they couldn't define their religion. They couldn't put it in a box. They couldn't tell what it was. You'd go up to a Christian, you'd say, where's your temple? And they'd say, well, we have no temple. Well, where are your priests? Well, we have no priests. Where do you sacrifice? We don't sacrifice anymore. Jesus was the only sacrifice. So it was the non-religion. It was something very different. Now it has become the most popular religion. And in Jesus' day, as he was telling these stories and many others, the religious leaders, the good people, were the most offended. In fact, they were so royally offended at Jesus, they hated him and they wanted to kill him. They were enraged. But the bad people, the bad people absolutely loved Jesus. They loved Jesus and they couldn't get enough of him and they wanted to be around him and know him. In fact, in Matthew chapter 21, Matthew writes, I tell you the truth, 
corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. He's quoting Jesus there as he's speaking to the people. And this is a rarity today in the church. Listen, it's a rarity today in the church for the younger brother types, the bad people, to be flocking to the church. In fact, they, in our day, it has changed. In our day, the bad people are offended by the church and the good people love the church. Why? Why has this happened? Why has this been reversed? Why is it that in our culture, in our day, it is the opposite of how it was? Again, I think because the church is full of too many older brothers. By and large, our sermons, our worship, our practices, and our attitudes do not attract younger brothers as they did to Jesus. The story can be broken up into two scenes. Act 1, Act 2. Act 1 could easily have the title, The Lost Younger Brother, and Act 2, The Lost Elder Brother. Act 1 begins with a very short but shocking request. The younger brother goes up to the father and he says, Dad, give me my inheritance. Now, there's nothing wrong with expecting an inheritance. Okay, It was very common in those days that the father, if he had sons, would give all that he had upon his death to his sons. They would inherit everything. There's nothing uncommon about that. What is uncommon about this request is the fact is that the old man is not dead. So picture something like this. Your father is rich. That's a good thought. And he's on his deathbed in the hospital. There he is laying on his deathbed. He's got, you know, a couple hours left. And the whole family's there around his bed. And you, as the son, you say, hey, dad, I'd like to have your Rolex. If I could, you take that off from me before you go. I mean, everybody else is crying and saying, I love you, dad, and saying goodbye. And, and you ask for the Rolex. You, I can't say that word in church. Talk about being inappropriate, right? Rude insensitive where's the love what kind of request is that it's like saying i wish you were already dead i have no respect for you i don't love you i don't like you but i only want what you can give me now give it over what's even more shocking than that is the father's response to that request his response is, okay, here you go. Here's your inheritance. Now, you can imagine that the people listening to this story, as Jesus were telling, was that this, is, uh, this, thing, this, is a, this story is all messed up. That boy ought to be beaten and sent out. He shouldn't get that money. 
What a ridiculous request. And yet the father gives him his money. And then the son takes it and he blows it all on prostitutes and wild living. Completely ruins his life. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like you're all alone, you're thinking about your life, you're thinking about all the choices you've had, all the opportunities you've been given, all the money you've been given that you've wasted? Those wasted opportunities, those Wasted moments where you could have had a better job or a better career or a better this or a better that and you you made the wrong choice, the bad choice. I'm sure he felt like that. He ruined it all. Jesus said that he got to a point where it was just him in the mud with some pigs. Now you understand these are Jews. They hate pigs. Pigs are dirty, they're unclean, they don't have anything. They don't even touch them. They can't get near them, they don't eat them. Now they are missing out on bacon, folks. Probably the best food known to man. I try and eat bacon every day. And my, my physique shows it. Here he is, he's with the pigs. And he's so hungry, because he's poor. That he craves the food the pigs are eating. And Jesus said he comes to his senses. It's like something snaps. And he said, oh, man. The, the servants at my dad's house eat better than this. So he puts together this plan. He's going to go home. He's going to tell his dad he's sorry. And he's going to say, dad, I will become a hired hand. Not a son. So you got all these people working for you in your estates. I'll become an employee and I'll work for the rest of my life to pay back everything you gave me. That's his plan. And so he heads home. But what happens is even more shocking and somewhat inappropriate. The father sees the boy from far off and runs out to him. Now, understand... Patriarchs don't run. All right, children run. Maybe a woman would run. But patriarchs are distinguished. They are the fathers and the leaders of the community, and they don't run. They don't pull up their robe and go running down the street. That would be undignified. That would be for a woman or a child. But this patriarch pulls up his robe, runs after his son, sees him, throws his arms around him, gives him a big hug, and then puts his robe on the son immediately. Now the son's plan is completely ruined. He was going to be a hired hand. But the robe signifies the royalty, family status. Immediately, he's restored back to family status. He says, kill the fattened calf. Now, you know, in this, in, this, in this culture, in this day, they really didn't eat a whole lot of meat. I mean, you had to be a king or extremely wealthy to eat meat. It was mostly vegetables and rice. And so it was a big, big deal to have meat, have steak. Big deal. Maybe once a year, maybe, you know, a couple times in your lifetime. They have this big, huge banquet. So Act 1 shows us the freeness 
of God's grace. That it cannot be earned. And there's absolutely nothing you can do to lose it. Acts 2 shows us the costliness of that grace and the climax of the story. When the elder brother heard all this going on, servants came and told him about the banquet, your brother's return, your father's given him a robe, restored his honor. He was furious. He was enraged. And so it was his turn to disgrace the father. The father holds a banquet. He rejects it. He rejects the father. He rejects the banquet and refuses to go in. Humiliating the father to the point where the father cannot be in there with his guests entertaining. He has to be like a fool and an idiot and leave the party to go and talk to his son. To go outside, out from where the guests are and try and convince his son Swallow his pride and come into the celebration. So the older brother says to his father, I'm furious about this because you've never given me a party. In all these years, I have been here. I have been faithful. I have paid my tithe. I have been to church. I have prayed. I read my Bible. And you have never given me a party. And what is worse is this loser of a brother that I have has done nothing to earn this when I have. And then the father so kind and graciously says, but son, all I've ever had has always been yours. You gotta understand the, the, the thinking here of this elder brother. You see, who paid for the fattened calf? Who paid for the robes and the big celebration and the wine and all the people? Who paid for all of that? Where'd that money come from? The father didn't have any more money, right? He gave away the son's inheritance. The only thing that was left was the older brother's inheritance, and the father was spending that. You see, there's always a price to be paid when the younger brother returns. And often that's a price we aren't willing to pay. If the church is going to become comfortable to younger brother types, the Amy Winehouses of the world, if they're going to love us and love our church, then it has to be incredibly uncomfortable for you. Because what they're going to like is surely not what you're going to like. And that's the price we pay for their redemption. The older brother wasn't willing to pay it. He didn't want to he didn't want to waste a single penny on this loser. And he was ticked off about it. So the father pleads with him. He says, "Son, please, please, Your brother has come home. He was lost and now he's been found. Rejoice with us. And he says no. He rejects it. And doesn't enter in. 
Thank God that you and I had an older brother who was willing to pay the price for us to come home. Thank God that Jesus Christ held nothing back, but gave his life, everything he had, to pay for our return. Thank God that we had an older brother like that. Thank God for we have salvation. Let us not have the older brother's attitude and only go to God for what he can give us and only serve God for what he can provide. The hope that he has, the wealth that he can give to us because we have to pay our bills. And so we only go to God for our needs. Oh God, give me this and give me that and help me with this and help me with that. It's all complaints. Oh God, I hate this. I can't stand this. I can't do this anymore. This is bad. This is bad. Oh God. And develop a lifetime of that elder brother mentality. That attitude that you losers... You got what's coming to you. You wasted your life on drugs and sex and parties. I remained faithful. And so I should have a great life. And you, you should pay for what you've done. You see, the gospel shatters all of that. It does away with all of that. And says, no, 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 there's something different here. Both are lost. And both can enter into the celebration. See, heaven is being prepared for you that are in faith in Jesus. And it's a big celebration. It's a party. Would you be the type of Christian that would stand at the gates before God and he would say to you, depart from me, I don't even know you. Because all of your relationship with Him for your whole life was just empty works. It was spiritual deadness. It was nothing. Have you lost that craving and that hunger just to spend time with God? You know, just to be at the foot of Jesus and love Him for who He is. Not for what He can do or what He can provide. Or how he can help, but just to love him for who he is. Have you lost that passion? Have you lost that love? I'm afraid if you have, then you are in grave danger of becoming that older brother. You know, you'll see it in your attitudes. I'm running out of time. And so next week I'll go into more about the older brother. Because there are three ways to identify an older brother. And I'll give you those next week.